0: Tip O'Neill, the legendary Speaker of the House from the 1970s and 80s, famously said that all politics is local. Meaning that the questions that people actually ask themselves when deciding how to vote almost invariably boil down to, how does this affect me and my family? Or, how does this affect my local community? But it's also the case that due to the rise of 24-hour cable news and the internet, our politics is increasingly national and international as well. Because of the rapid growth and the power and scope of the federal government, as well as globalization, we are far more attuned to what is happening in Washington, D.C. or around the world than we would have been a generation ago. So we have these two poles in our political discourse, very local on the one hand or else national or international on the other. I don't know about you, but this tends to match my experience whenever politics rears its ugly head in conversation. People either talk about something in our local community, such as what the Fairfax County School Board is up to, or else people talk about politics in Washington, the President and the Congress, and things associated with that, or sometimes they will talk about international affairs. What people rarely seem to talk about is politics in the middle range, by which I mean on the state level. Sure, occasionally something is happening in Richmond that grabs people's attention, such as a state highway bill. Or perhaps people pay attention to the gubernatorial election every couple of years. But by and large, I would bet that the average person knows far more about what's happening in Congress or the White House than they do in the gen- about the General Assembly or the Governor's Mansion in Richmond. Despite the fact that in our system of government, states are meant to be the primary loci of political power. It's kind of the same in the church. People pay attention to the very local level and or they focus on the national or international level. Meaning this people are obviously interested in what's going on in their parish. We obviously know that. Or they focus on what is going on with Pope Francis and the Vatican and the worldwide church. For example, the recent (coughs) discussion about the Vatican's opening to China. We also hear a fair bit about what happens in the church on the national level in that the church and the secular media report about what's going on with the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops. But what about the middle range of authority in the church? By the middle range, I mean the diocese of Arlington. Like our state government, it's the level of church authority that's probably talked about the least and understood the least by ordinary Catholics. By and large, I would say that most Catholics, when they think of the church, tend to focus either on their own parish or on the Vatican, not on their bishop and their diocese which is unfortunate because it's really the local bishop who is, as the catechism states, the visible source and foundation of unity in their own particular church. An individual diocese headed by a bishop is what constitutes a true local church because a bishop is a direct successor to the apostles themselves. A bishop is not just some middle manager between the Vatican and the parish pastor. Rather, by virtue of Episcopal ordination, the church teaches that the bishops have, by divine institution, taken the place of the apostles as pastors of the church in such a way that whoever listens to them is listening to Christ, and whoever despises them despises Christ and the one who sent Christ. Indeed, in the early church, it was the common practice, not always followed in the present day, that when a bishop celebrated mass in a parish church, That the the tabernacle was emptied, and the blessed sacrament was reserved elsewhere. This was meant to be a fitting sign of the identity of Christ with the bishop, and is a sign that Christ only grants the Eucharist to the local church through their bishop. Even the Pope himself is, first and foremost, the bishop of the Diocese of Rome. The Holy Father's authority to govern the universal church comes about by by virtue of his office as the leader of that local diocese. This is why even the Eastern Orthodox and Oriental Orthodox churches are considered genuine churches, even though they are not in communion with Rome. They have a valid apostolic succession of bishops. Because they have valid bishops, they have valid sacraments, and are thus considered true particular churches. Because Lent is almost upon us, it's time to focus on one of the important markers of unity that we have as a diocesan church and that's the Bishop's Lenten appeal. In doing that, what I would like for you to really focus on in your thoughts and prayers is the fact that the Bishop is the visible source and foundation of unity in the place that we as Catholics call the Diocesan Church of Arlington. We often use that term church to refer to our little parish. Often too, we use the term church in its universal sense to mean all those Christians united with the Bishop in Rome. We may even sometimes use the word church to refer to the church as a whole in some particular country, such as the United States or China. Yet rarely do I hear people using this word in reference to their diocese. But in fact, a diocesan church is a church in the truest, most elemental sense of the term, in that it is a group of the faithful led by a bishop, a successor to the apostles, and ministered to by priests and deacons under his charge. And some of the most important work that we do in fulfilling the mandate of of Christ to love, serve, and evangelize others happens at the level of the diocese. Things that have made our diocese such a well-known and vibrant witness to Catholic orthodoxy across the country and even around the world. For example, in this day and age, a parish simply cannot operate a school totally on its own. We need the support of the diocesan office of Catholic schools to help run and maintain St. John's Academy. The diocese also helps Catholic education in other ways. For example, by giving tuition assistance to families so that they can afford a Catholic education for their children in the first place. Second, the Bishop's Lenten Appeal supports other programs that necessarily operate apart from any particular parish. Vocations, for example. Our diocese is proud to have one of the best track records in terms of prom- promoting vocations to the priesthood and the religious life in the entire country. That's made possible by the generous funding that the faithful provide to the BLA, the largest chunk of which goes to vocations. I can say that as someone who was in the seminary until fairly recently, that is a powerful example of Christ's love and a wonderful gift that helps one to respond to a calling to know that the cost of your seminary education is underwritten by the diocese, with no strings attached if one doesn't ultimately feel called to the priesthood. Again, that's only possible because of your generosity. The theme of this year's Bishop's Lenten appeal is living in faith and giving in gratitude. In this world that we live in, the critical work of our diocesan church to promote the faith can't be assumed apart from money. The work work that the BLA funds is indispensable, both for us here at St. John's as well as for our whole diocese. So on behalf of Father Pollard and myself, I'd like you to prayerfully consider your annual donation to the Bishop's Lenten Appeal we ask that you give not just generously, but also in gratitude for the good work that is being done. Pledges will be taken up next Sunday at Mass. Especially if you haven't given to the BLA in the past, or if you haven't done so in a while, now is a good time to foster your connection to the diocesan church by making a pledge. Because our diocese and our bishop really should be the primary way that we as Catholics identify ourselves as one church.